everyone, this is Shipra, your host from The Modern Indian, and we are back with our third episode in the series of yoga with our resident yogi, Palak. Hey, Palak. Hi, how are you? I am good. How are you? Good. It feels weird to be back. <laughs> yes, I was going to say welcome back. So for those of you who what we're, don't know what we're talking about, Palak uh, went on a 10-day yoga retreat called Vipassana. And I'm not going to talk much about it. I'm going to let her do the talking because I'm really excited to know about it because I'm from West Coast. I'm in San Francisco. And here, every other day, I'll hear someone saying, oh, I'm going to go on 10-day retreat. And basically, I'll be away from the world. And so I always wondered, how it what it is what's the process like what it is um that people go for and so when uh palak you told me you're going i was like yes we're gonna have an episode and i'm gonna have to talk to you about it when you come back so tell me first of all tell me what is vipassana yeah so vipassana is actually a meditation technique uh so i was not actually allowed to do yoga while i was there so this is a specific technique that came from the teachings of Buddha and from India. And over the years, the, the technique and the teachings and sort of the history got wiped away and also got mixed in with other teachings and other influences. And there was one specific place where the practice was kept in its tradition from teacher to student, passed down in this format, and that was in Burma. And there was a man who came across this teaching when, and he was a very successful businessman, and he had very terrible migraines, and someone said, hey, why don't you try, you've tried, you've gone to doctors, you've done all the medications, why don't you try meditation? And so he went, and he told the teacher, you know, I have really bad headache. And he's like, no, 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 no. If you come here to fix your headache, like, you know, we're not interested. If you're here to deepen your spiritual practice and really have a way to, you know, eradicate your suffering from your life, then, then we can have you. And so, you know, he went in, did it, realized the immediate benefits. And, you know, he spent the rest of his life taking Vipassana and bringing it to the West. And now there's centers all over the world. Are there any other names for Vipassana? Because sometimes people say it differently and then it essentially means the same thing. Do you know if there are any other name it goes by? So there were two uh, specific styles, well, actually three styles of meditation that we learned. One is Anapana, which is the first step where you bring your awareness to your respiration. The second is the, is the actual Vipassana meditation where you scan your body for sensations and you're bringing awareness to whatever sensations come up. Sometimes they're pleasant, sometimes they're unpleasant. And the idea is, is that you don't react to these sensations. So you're not wanting, you know, like sometimes people will meditate and have an experience where they feel bliss and ecstasy. And the teaching is saying that, you know, you experience these sensations, but you don't become attached to it. You don't sit down and expect the meditation to feel exactly the same. And similarly, when you first start, your body is in so much pain because you're not used to sitting for that long. And traditionally, you're supposed to sit for an hour at a time. And so you immediately have like numbness and pain and aches. And again, the idea is not to react, but to have equanimity, 
uh, between the positive and negative sensations that you feel in your body. And then the third practice that we learned was this um, meta, which is kind of loving kindness and compassion. So as you, as a meditator, as a practitioner, go on this path to alleviate your own suffering, it's important to have compassion for those that may you know, not have this practice or may kind of be victim to their own ignorance or their attachments and suffering. Why did you decide to go for the 10 day uh, retreat on this? I had been, as you know, I've been mostly a yoga student and I had been interested in meditation for the last year or so as a practice to complement yoga. And I had dabbled in a few things here and there. I had learned a few techniques and styles in my yoga training as as a sort of supplement, but I felt that I didn't have a solid grasp on a technique that I could practice every day on my own. And so I had spoken to a few people about Vipassana and they all had very positive experiences and highly recommend it. So I decided, you know, this is the year I wanted to do some sort of in-depth, you know, going deep, committing, and really being, you know, surrendering to whatever that is, you know, inside of us or inside of me. And that's how I ended up signing up for a course. I know you went out of town. It was not in in, in New Jersey. So did you go to Canada for this, right? Yes. So the challenge is, is that, so they consider anyone who's taken a course, an old student. And if you are new and have never taken a course, you are considered a new student and the spots and the courses for new students fill up very quickly. And so all of the locations that I looked into in the U S were all filled, uh, or it just didn't work out with my dates with work. And so I, I said, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to go. If I have to fly somewhere to do it, I will do it. Like that's how determined I was. And I was like, I don't want to wait till next year. I want to do it this year. And so I found a spot in Alberta, Canada of all places. And, uh, I, that's how I ended up there. That is so great. Uh, no, uh, here, um, I have other friends here in uh, in San Francisco, and I have a friend who just finished one um, uh, similar retreat in Marin, which is really beautiful. It's in the mountains. It's absolutely gorgeous. And so he was explaining to me how, what the, his experience was. And part of it was being secluded in the nature and not be too close to a city. And so when he was explaining to me that he was in Marin and I asked him why, and he said, well, because you're surrounded with mountains and, and, and lakes and uh, there is, there's no civilization close by. So your focus is then to just be inwards. And so I think, I think that's why you went so far away to Alberta because I believe in, in like cities, there are not enough places to do so. Yeah. So when, when Goenka, which is the name of the teacher who, who spread this technique from Burma to other places, when he first taught his course, it was in Bombay and he quickly realized like, uh, we, you want to have it in a place, um, that is close enough to the city that, that is accessible, but you definitely want it to be far away from the noise and the hustle and bustle of urban environments. Well, so then let's get into it. So how does one sign up for it? What's the process like? What uh, What's it about? So tell me more. Yeah. So everything is, uh, the course is free. So the way that they, that it's set up is that it is all, all of the centers are run by nonprofits and foundations. It is all volunteer run. And the way that they have funding to support these courses is that once you complete a course, once you are considered an old student, you are free to donate however much you'd like. And so that is sort of the beauty of this tradition and practice is that there is no commercialism and everything. And and the idea is, is that they don't have individual benefactors or like wealthy sponsors. They want people who have 
directly benefited from the practice and the experience to donate as a way of expressing gratitude to say, I was given this experience that was donated by people before me, and now I'm going to donate to continue and so that this offering can be expanded to others. That is great. I haven't heard that in uh, here. The centers here are expensive. Yeah, so that's why the, the the spots fill up because you can just go online, you sign up, and and that's it. And you know that's why it's very in demand. And I think given the current environment, at least in the U.S., I think a lot of people are seeking refuge from the constant information, the constant, the Twitter, the social media, and all the information that we're getting inundated. I think that there is such a need for these type of um, courses. So tell me more about the course then. Let's get into the into the, the details of what the course is like. What's the process? Yeah. So when you, when you uh, uh, agree to participate in the course the first day, you agree to certain what they call precepts or certain kind of oaths that you take while you're there for the 10 days. So number one is a vow of silence. So that includes eye contact, gesturing, writing. So you are free to speak with the teacher whenever you have questions, if you have any issues. And they usually have a, a manager that kind of takes care of the logistics and facilities who you can also talk to if you have any issues during your stay but other than that you do not speak to any of the the meditators and and any anyone else there the second thing is you know agreeing not to kill so you see these little like containers called bug relocators so if you see an ant spider you know the idea is is that you're not killing any being and so you know you're you're served two vegetarian meals a day and so you agree to that Um, you're also separated by gender so men and women are separated in terms of like you know we had separate dining halls, we had separate like living quarters. And in the meditation hall, like one side was women and one side was men. And the idea behind that is, is to remove any distractions. Uh, And so that, that, that was the, that was the rationale behind that. And then you also, um, you agree to, you know, so you don't have dinner, you get a light snack in the evening. So you're only eating two meals a day, which was, which was rough for me because, I, you know, work out a lot, I eat a lot. So that was that was a bit of adjustment for me. And then you agree not to lie. So I think that's why they make you be silent, because it's hard to lie when you're not talking to anyone. Um, So that one was an easy one. And um, you agree not to like, you know, have any luxurious, you know, any sensual objects. So like, you know, you know, dressing in plain clothing, nothing showy, nothing fancy, and then sleeping in very like simple, like living quarters. Okay, so that is the the pre uh, sort of uh, requirements before you start the course. Yes, and then once you once you start the course, you commit to the schedule, which is pretty demanding. So you wake up at four a.m. Um, you meditate from four thirty to six thirty. You get a break for breakfast. You meditate again for another two hours. You break for lunch. You meditate again for another two hours. You, um, you I think we have a break. In, we had a break in between there, like a tea break, and then from six to nine, you meditate and you watch these video lectures from the teacher and then you have an evening meditation and so you um you're pretty much busy from 4 30 in the morning until 9 p.m at night so is that the same schedule every day or does it change every day everywhere every day like the last day is a little bit different but more or less that's the that's the schedule and that's this is consistent so the rules and the the way it's taught and the schedule is consistent across all the centers 
What about like physical exercise for like seven days if you're doing this? Does your body... So during our breaks, we had like an outdoor space where we could walk, but there was like no jogging, no yoga. I mean, you could stretch out since you were sitting for long periods of time, but they really emphasize not doing anything else. And so the and the rationale behind this, and it kind of came clear to me as I progressed through the course is that let's say you're meditating, but then also doing yoga. So when you have the, be- when you, when you feel the benefits you don't know if it's from that practice or what you were doing. Was it from the exercise? Was it from something else? And so the reason why they ask you not to do anything else besides this particular meditation practice is so that you can basically give it a trial run and say, does this work for me? Am I seeing benefits? And that way there's nothing else to kind of confuse you or to cloud whether it works for you or not. And at the end, you know, the, you know, the teacher kind of says like, look, you are your own master. Like if this has worked for you, great, continue. If there's another practice that serves you better, great, do that, but just stick with one, right? Because the problem is, and we'll see this often is like, we'll try this and we'll try a little bit of that and I'll do this for a few months. And like, the idea is commit and stick to a daily practice that works for you. So it does get intense very quickly. So I like I have already I had already been doing sort of inner work and been on a spiritual path. And so like things like from the past and like emotional stuff like that, I I had been kind of working through for the last few years. So when I would start tearing up or crying or emotions would come come through me, I would just be like, okay, this is happening. But like, don't freak out. Like, you'll be fine. But there were definitely other people that, you know, were freaking out and uh you can even though people weren't talking you could just kind of tell the vibe and i remember on day nine it's like everyone lost their shit like everyone kept getting up during class everyone like people were crying in the hallway like there was just like a lot you could just tell there was something in the air and i'm like maybe that's the reason why it's 10 days and not any longer maybe this is like the maximum that people can really do this work without really losing it. And so for me, like every, you know, from day one, like something would come up, like some sort of like big, you know, lesson or emotion or memory would come up. And the idea is, is that you let it come up and you let it go. Right. It's like the stuff that comes up are things like, I mean, I thought about memories from like ex-boyfriends from college, like random things. I'm like, am I still mad about that? Clearly if it's coming up right now, I'm still, I'm still holding on to this anger. Right. And you would think that like the stuff that would come up would be recent things. Like I, you know, stuff from childhood, stuff from college, you know, early on. And I, and it's an opportunity for you to acknowledge it. Cause this is the other thing that, that was interesting. And what I like about this particular style is that you're really going into your unconscious mind. So there's a lot of people that will be like, Oh, I'm so peaceful. I'm so happy. But you know, they're deep down, they might be angry, they might be sad. And so this practice brings up whatever that that sleeping what they call it the sleeping mind, the unconscious mind. And so for me, I was kind of surprised of like the things that came up, because I'm like, I don't in my day to day think about these things. But somewhere, somehow, it's stored in my body, it's stored in my mind and memory. And the idea of the practices is that you as you consistently practice this old junk, you know, this old memory, old junk will come up. And you want to keep a balanced mind. And it's things that like, and it might be even be happy memories that you hold on to wishing that this could happen again, or like, and so the idea is these things that you're attached to, whether they're negative or positive, 
you're supposed, you know, you let go of these things so you can allow yourself to be in the present and not react to things based on what may have happened to you in the past. I can get pretty, pretty, you know, intense, especially if you haven't, like a lot of people that I spoke to after the course, like are in therapy and sort of have that support system. Um, but for some, you know, things that might come up, you, you're not prepared for it. Um, you get caught off guard and it feels, and you feel it in your body, right? These sensations tell us when something is wrong and like these things, and this is what's amazing about this practice is that these little signals and sensations and these, uh, your nervous system is constantly sending out messages. I like this. I don't like this. I hate this person. I love this person. Right. And so our mind is constantly playing this game of attaching itself to things that it likes and avoiding things that it doesn't like. And this is what the root of suffering, which Buddha discovered is that we're constantly playing this game. And if we can just be balanced and be equanimous and feel that if something bad happens, this is impermanent, this will change. And similarly, when something's good, don't get attached to it because it could change tomorrow. And the more we can bring that attitude and that sense of balance to our lives, the more we can be harmonious, the more we can be peaceful, the more we can have happiness in our lives. So I have a question. Do you think Vipassana is something for a beginner like myself? I actually think it's better for beginners because they say that when you have it, if you have experience in different styles, and even when I, when I filled out my application and asked if I, if I study or teach other practices and I wrote in there that I, that I, that I practice yoga and that I also teach yoga. And so they ask you like to kind of abandon these practices. So if you're a beginner and know nothing about meditation, it's perfect because each day you kind of go step by step. So you learn one piece and then you add another piece, you add another piece and then the time you spend in the meditation increases and so i think it's i think it's great for beginners i think the only thing that i would caveat with is that you really have to go in if you want to have a successful experience and you want to surrender so what that means is like whatever comes up whatever feelings emotions you just have to learn how to sit with it because the problem is is that oftentimes people leave the course and they really advise you not to especially leaving halfway through the course because they talk about it as if you're doing brain surgery and so like day three day four like a lot of old stuff comes up to the surface and if you run right so it's like all this stuff gets opened up and you don't get a chance to fully process it in this space and in this environment that's created for that specific reason, it can be really detrimental. So would they teach you how to get rid of these negative thoughts or the attachment? So the teacher guides you, you know, if there's specific things that come up, I was able to talk to the teacher about it, you know, when I talked about like my mom's death and you know what that means and how that's impacted me, I was able to talk through that. But a lot of it is, is like, it's, he, you know, the teacher makes it very clear that like, everything is impermanent, right? The whole idea is when you observe your breath and you observe your body, you're like, your body is changing every second. Every time you breathe, your body is changing. The reality is changing. And so if you truly surrender to that mindset, if you say like, this is, if you accept that reality is constantly changing, we are constantly changing, then whatever comes up is not scary. Whatever comes up is going to eventually go away. Right. And so I think that to me, like if you can truly surrender to that and really believe that, then you can quickly and efficiently kind of move through a lot of this emotional junk that you've been holding on to. But if you try and fight and resist and sort of intellectualize and analyze and do all these things, then you kind of just kind of create like more more suffering for yourself and making things more complicated versus going into it and saying, look, 
I'm going to be completely isolated. I'm going to be alone with my thoughts. I'm going to, there are going to be some thoughts that are going to come up that are wild and crazy. There are going to be some thoughts that are going to be disturbing. There are going to be some thoughts that, you know, I never really thought about before and just be okay with whatever comes up and know that like it will pass. So the friend that I mentioned who also went through Vipassana told me that there was a point during the practice that about the fourth or fifth day that he experienced um, sort of like an opening, like he felt like his heart is going to explode. Um, what it felt like, he said, was this opening where he could accept all the thoughts that were coming in, all the thoughts that were going out, and it was very intense. And so he said that the teacher told him not that this happens, it's a common practice, and but don't get attached to this wonderful feeling of openness um, because it will pass. But it is it was quite intense for him. Yeah, and that is, that is common. That is something that happens where you kind of have these bodily sensations. Um, and again, the teacher advises you like, you know, don't get attached to it. You may feel like you have all this love and compassion for the world in one meditation, and you might be angry at your neighbor the next meditation. And just being okay with kind of being in flux. And and but at some point, if you practice consistently and you really follow the teachings, you get to a point in your meditation where your body just kind of dissolves. Like you realize that your body is kind of impermanent and like it opens up in a way. And I started to get a little bit of glimpse of this, not like the full experience, but I definitely felt it in my upper body and in my head and my neck area where it's like you feel your, your eyes are closed. So you feel these sensations, but it's almost as if like, you don't know like where your arm ends and where your like rib cage starts, like everything just kind of feels like it's just, it's just like a, a mass of vibrations is how is what they call it. And so when you have that feeling, you do have the sense of like, wow, like I am so much bigger than just my mind and body. I'm sort of connected to this energy in this room and this planet, you know, in this world. And then at the same time, you're like, but I, you know, I'm in this body and mind, and this is sort of a container for me to experience the world. So you kind of sit in between those two places and again, the emphasis is, is that as you practice consistently, you'll have more wisdom into like, what is real? What is different? What is changing? How can I see this situation from 10 different angles instead of just it being about me, me, me? And how do you expand yourself to be more than just the ego, more than just like Pollock, more than just this body? And so the physical sensations are those kind of moments are really there to give you wisdom and less about feeling like, oh, I've made it. I've hit nirvana. Like I'm enlightened. And so he would caution us, the teacher would caution us to be like, don't get attached to the sensation, but focus on the wisdom that that, that sensation or that moment that provides you. And I think the, the, the last thing I'll mention is what I really like about this practice. And I think this is what sets it apart from other styles and traditions is that it was does it was meant to be for a lay person so per, a householder path whatever you want to call it it's like somebody who lives in the world not a monk not a recluse not someone lives in the mountainside it's meant for people who have jobs families responsibilities deal with people live in cities you know all of those things are taken into account when this technique is taught and so the idea is is that you consistently sit down for an hour both morning and evening for the practice. And between those two sittings, you are still practicing. And I say that in air quotes, and I know you can't see me, but the idea is like, you're on a conference call and this guy that you don't like speaks up, you will immediately feel sensations. And like, as you practice regularly, you'll become more sensitive. Your mind and body will become more sensitive and you'll start to notice like, 
My breathing has changed. I feel sweaty right now. I feel like a sensation in my stomach, right? And then similarly, like when you see your dog, you're like, I have all these positive sensations and I feel this fluttering and this like vibrational energy. And so you'll be, you'll start to notice like when your body is like, "Mm, I don't like this. And then when your body's like, yes, I love this. I don't want this to end. And you bring that balance into your day-to-day life and that compassion and that wisdom and that you gain, it's not just for yourself. Right. And the other thing that I really appreciate is that in the teachings, it says like the meditation is not a form of escapism. Cause what I see often, we've talked about spiritual bypassing, you know, in the last episode is that people use meditation as a form as a way to like run away from society run away from your obligations and your duties and that's not what it's about and it's actually about using the benefit that you gain for others so if you bring a sense of calmness and 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 sort of this equanimity to this meeting to a team that's dysfunctional and like the other people around you will be like oh like this person isn't getting annoyed this person's feathers aren't getting ruffled they'll start to pick up a notice right and be like and then you bring that sense of calmness you know when you're on the subway and everyone's just pushing and shoving and you're just like smiling and you're like this is temporary everything changes when i get off at the next stop this person won't be breathing on me and so where whatever space that you go into with that benefit with that practice with that mindset you immediately impact that room, right? Whether people realize it or not, and whether other people really appreciate it or not, it's there. And that's what I really like about this practice is that the teacher was like, look, if you're doing this two hours a day, and you're not seeing any benefits in your relationships, in your job, in your sleep, in your in your life, in your health, then like, you're either doing something wrong, or like, you know, you maybe you need to find a different practice, because he's like, unless you're seeing benefits directly, not because I'm saying this, not because Buddha said it, not because these teachings say it. The whole idea about this practice is that you experience it yourself. You experience the benefits, you experience that impermanence, that that everything is temporary and you're able to stay balanced regardless of all the craziness going on around you. That is the ultimate purpose. And if you're not seeing that 24 hours, right, throughout your day, then, then, then it's kind of lost. Oh, I know a whole lot of people who need to practice that. Mm-hmm. The teacher warned us about that. He's like, you're going to go home and you're going to be like, you need to go to Vipassana and you need to go to Vipassana. And he's saying that like, you know, this was designed and he talks about stories about how one person will go and then they'll tell their husband or wife to go and then the kids will go. And like the teacher that was there, she had her, her son was in the class and he was, he was, he was a server. So because it's a volunteer run course, like she was like, they were almost going to cancel the class. And I asked my son, can you please volunteer? We need someone else in the kitchen to cook the meals. And so you see how one person is kind of can have this sphere of influence. And like, you know, the teacher talked about like, you know, it's designed, you know, if all the family members meditate and they kind of, you know, you live harmoniously, you can live very peacefully together. And so that is sort of, that was sort of the vision is that you bring this into your workplace, your, your home, wherever you go. And I think that's what makes this so powerful. It's not just like you going off into some remote location, you know, and, and hit, and the idea is, is that you practice twice a day and then do a course like this once a year to kind of do a deep dive and making sure that you're consistent with your practice and, and progressing. 
I think you're totally right. Um, I think it's not helpful that you just go to a mountain or a, or a retreat to get this practice. I think it's more important if you can bring this practice to your everyday life. So even if you sit down for an hour in the morning or 15 minutes in the morning and just try to practice this uh, on your own, I think it's so much more beneficial. And then take one of these treats, uh, retreats um, a year and then get you know kind of a deeper understanding of enhancing it. So I, I completely agree. Yeah. And even like outside those two kind of like hour long meditations you're doing, like you can always bring your awareness to your breath. You can always like feel your body and know like what's going on inside you. And so that you're responding and not reacting. And so it becomes sort of like a part of your life. And that's what I really liked about it is that it's really like they call it an art of living. I would feel if you're interested at all, feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at the uncommon coach. I'm happy to talk to anyone who's curious because I know there's a lot of reviews out there that make it seem like it's crazy and you're going to have some sort of mental breakdown. And I don't think that is the case at all. When I talked to all the, the people that attended the course, everyone had a really positive experience. So I'm happy to connect with anyone. This has been great. Thank you so much, Palak, for joining me. And uh, everyone who's listening, if you have any questions, suggestions, or if you want more information about this practice of Vipassana, feel free to either contact me or contact Palak directly at The Uncommon Coach. That's her um, Instagram handle. It's at The Uncommon Coach. She's also available on Facebook and she has her own website. Thank you again, Palak, and uh, hope you recover soon and uh, join us back at the world and your practice goes well. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you.